Good morning, church, and happy Palm Sunday. Today, we're beginning a brand new series for the Easter season called You're Not Far. And the big idea for this series is this, that if you've ever felt far from God in your life, that's not uncommon. But the good news is God is closer than you think. And I just want to be real honest with you guys today. Um, For the next six weeks in this series, I have a really, really specific and narrow agenda. And and I know this might seem unrealistic. Um, Maybe I'm being a little bit naive, but I believe that our God is a great, big, amazing God, and he does big, bold, audacious things. And so I'm just going to lay out, we've been talking about this in my small group, and I'm just going to lay out my dream that God has placed in my heart for you. I would love it if over the next six weeks, all of you who maybe have been considering becoming a Christian and connecting with this church community would choose to take that next step. My hope and prayer is that for those of you who've been coming for a little while and maybe, maybe your students have really been connecting and enjoying our student ministry fuse or your children love coming to Lighthouse Kids or someone invited you to come and you just, you just felt a connection and you've been coming and you're curious about this whole God and Jesus and Christianity thing, but you're kind of on the fence. My hope and prayer is that you would decide to get off the fence and fully embrace Jesus as your savior and this church community as your home. Now, if you're here today or if you're watching online and this is maybe your first time in church or first time back in a while and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what did I just get myself into? I'm not even sure I believe in God. First off, we are so, so, so glad that you're joining us. And I would just ask you to keep an open mind because in this series, we're going to be talking about our mission and some of our core values as a church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to also ask the question, why in the world would anybody make the decision to become a follower of Jesus. And my hope and prayer at the very least is to explain to you or help explain to you why a rational person would do something like that. And look, I get if you're not a Christian, there's probably a reason behind that. It's probably a good reason. I mean, you might say, you know, pastor, I hear that God is supposed to be good and loving. But when I look at the world around me, I see sickness, I see war, I see death. There's too much suffering for me to believe in a good, loving God. Maybe that's your obstacle. And I wouldn't say to you, that's dumb. You shouldn't think like that. No, that's a legitimate reason. Or maybe your obstacle is, you know, you grew up in church and you've just seen too many crazy Christians. And so you think, why in the world would I want to end up like one of them? Another valid reason. I don't blame you. I've met some crazy church people. In fact, let's do a poll this morning. Let's be honest because we're in church. If you've ever met a crazy church person, please raise your hand. Look around the room, okay? Every single hand is up in the air. Or, or maybe, maybe like me, you grew up in a different faith tradition altogether. I mean, my parents emigrated to the United States from India, and I grew up in a Hindu family. And maybe Christianity is appealing to you, but people in your family don't believe, and so becoming a Christian, that seems like that would be hard. That's a real obstacle. You'd be crazy to ignore that. But here's why I'm so excited about this Easter series. See, for over 2,000 years, countless people, millions and millions and millions of people have made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. Many people here today sitting in this sanctuary came to that very, very personal and significant decision of faith. 
But rarely, if ever, does a person embrace Christianity only after they've worked through their entire checklist of questions and obstacles. Rarely does just more knowledge on the topic lead students and adults to take a next step into faith. Usually people who come to faith have an extremely personal experience, and and it doesn't answer every single one of their questions, but it shrinks the barriers holding them back from taking a step. A trial in life, even a tragedy might occur, and they find themselves on their knees praying to a God they're not even sure exists. Or they see something and it just stirs their heart and it ignites a passion within them and it leads them to a response. And in these moments, all of their big questions about God may not get answered, but those questions seem smaller and smaller and less like obstacles stopping them from turning to God. See, Christianity isn't a category that can be solved just by tackling questions. We could spend months, we could spend years addressing all the different questions that you might have about God, and you might still not come to faith. But students and adults come to faith when the obstacles in front of them get shrunk through a personal experience with God. So let me unpack this idea for you guys with a little bit of an funny illustration this morning. And and we've talked about this a little bit before when we've talked about love and dating and relationships. Question for the married men. Married men, do you remember all of the reasons that you had for not getting married when you were single? Do you remember that? Just think back for a second. You were dating somebody and, you know, maybe your grandma said, well, when are you guys going to get married? And you said, no way. I am not ready for that yet. I am not ready. And you went through your list, your checklist of reasons. Single guys, that might be you right now. And and your checklist, it might look something like this. You might say, you know, freedom. (laughs) I'm not ready yet to lose my freedom. Like, you know, if I get married, I have to take care of somebody else. I can barely take care of myself. I'm not ready for that yet. Money. I mean, do you know how much it costs to get married? Do you know how much a wedding costs? You know, what if that other person wants things and I have to pay for it? Like, how is that going to work? Like, do you know how much gas costs right now? I'm not ready to get married. Parents, you know, my parents have not really had a great relationship. In fact, their relationship has been, you know, a struggle. I've seen them fight. I've seen them argue. I've seen the tension. I grew up with the tension of that. I don't even know if it's possible to have a happy marriage. What if? What if... I find someone and I get married, but they're not the one. And a week after our wedding, I run into the one. Like, that would be really awkward. Like, what do I do about that? So married guys, let me ask you a question. How many of those questions did you thoroughly solve before getting married? None, right? None. Like, I've never met the married guy who said, okay, got through the freedom thing, I read some, you know, self-help books on relationships and how not to be selfish and how to be willing to put other people first, and now I'm ready to give up my freedom. Check. Money. I saved and saved and saved and saved and worked three jobs living in my parents' basement for 30 years, eating only ramen noodle, and now, at the age of 50, I realize I finally have enough money to marry a girl if she has low expectations. It could work out. (laughs) Parents. I got my parents into marriage counseling, and now they don't want to kill each other as much. And so I have hope that I could have the possibility of a happy marriage check. 
What if? Okay, I got to know every single woman on planet Earth. I saw every single option out there, and now I'm sure she's the one, and I'm never going to be tempted by anyone else. I'm never even going to be tempted to look at anyone else. Check. I don't know if that dude exists, but I've never met him. So married guys, why did we get married when we hadn't fully resolved any of those obstacles? Why? It's very simple. One word. Just kidding. Just, just, just kidding. <laughs> Don't email me if you brought your kid to church. We have a great children's program down in the North Wing called Lighthouse Kids. You should send them there. But no, the real answer is this. Love. Love. What happened was you fell in love, and that's how rational people become Christians. They don't become Christians by working through their whole list of objections. Most of us who consider ourselves Christians still have questions. Guess what? We do, even your pastor. Sometimes in life, we struggle and we have doubts and we wrestle with doubts. We just have experienced something so personal that it shrinks the obstacles down in comparison to our relationship with God. And so again, if you feel far from God and you've got all of these obstacles, the good news is that is not uncommon. And the better news is you're not far. God is closer than you think. And, and look, I'm not saying not to ask questions. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some big obstacles and questions. Next week on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the miracle of the resurrection. That's a challenge for some people to believe. I think you should ask questions. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal. It matters. All I'm saying is this, that if you get to the point where you're ready to follow Jesus, the things on your list of obstacles and the things on your list of questions probably won't all go away, but they're going to get smaller and smaller and smaller as you begin to walk in a relationship with God. So if you're currently not a follower of Jesus, this is where we're going over the next few weeks in this Easter series. And again, I hope that you're willing to keep an open mind and join us on this journey because the good news is you're not far. Okay, now to those of you who consider yourselves to be followers of Jesus, I want to spend the next few minutes in this service talking to you guys for a little bit. Words and their meanings can change over time. For those of us who are alive before the internet, raise your hand if you were alive before the internet. Okay, all right, about 75% of the room. Those of you who are alive before the internet, words and their meanings change over time. And I'll give you a couple examples. Some words today that meant something totally different pre-internet. A tweet, for example, used to be a sound that a bird made. Now it's something Donald Trump is not allowed to do, okay? A troll was a mythical creature in fairy tales. Now, they're angry people on the internet who like to start political arguments, okay? A catfish was a tasty marine animal. Now, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. You can look that one up for yourself. But see, the meanings of words can change over time. This is also important to understand church as well, because words that meant one thing like 2,000 years ago can mean something totally different today. One word like that is this word evangelism. Evangelism. And this word today can have some pretty 
negative connotations, like the guy at the football game who holds up the sign saying, get saved or microwaved, right? Or the TV preacher, the angry TV preacher who's like, your sinner's going to hell, you're going to fry like bacon, right? Or, or the people that go door to door in suits. Have you ever had those people come and visit you? Uh, a few years ago, my daughter Lexi, who's turning 17 this week, um, she was like 11 or 12, and she asked to stay home by herself one day when the family was going to go out to the mall. And so we said, okay, we think you're old enough, and we left her a cell phone, and we said, call us, you know, call us if you need to reach us, and we left. Well, about an hour later, we get a call from Lexi, and she is freaking out, and she's like, Dad, there's some old guy in a suit banging on the front door. And then she's like, wait, wait, there's more of them. There's a whole van full of them. They're all getting out. And we were like, what? We're like, go in your room, shut the door, and stay in your room. We're headed right home. And so we rushed home from the mall. When we got back to our house, nobody was there. Looked like nothing had happened. Now, here's the deal. A couple months earlier, we had installed some surveillance cameras around our house. We, we lived, you know, right outside of Baltimore, and we thought that was a good safety feature to add to our house, to our security system. And so we did that. So we, we go and we, we rewind and we watch the video of what happened. And sure enough, this guy in a three-piece suit is banging with a cane on our front door, and there's a van that slowly creeps up behind him, and all of a sudden, about eight or nine other people dressed in suits and dresses get out of the van with tambourines, and they're all in our front yard. They had a worship service on our front lawn that lasted for like 10 minutes. Craziest thing I've ever seen. But for many of us, these are the images that come to mind when we hear the word evangelism. But see, I, I don't think that's evangelism. And I don't see that when I read the Bible. Here's what I think evangelism is in its truest biblical sense. Evangelism is telling someone we love about someone we love. Evangelism is telling someone we love about someone we love. It's telling someone we love and care about about something or someone that we love and enjoy, mainly Jesus. See, in, in regular life, we tell people about stuff we enjoy all the time, don't we? You go to a fun place to eat, and we share that with people. Hey, everybody, last night I went out to Texas Roadhouse, weighed like 200 of those honey butter rolls. They're like crack. They were fantastic. I couldn't stop, right? We see a new movie, and we tell people, hey, did you just see Spider-Man No Way Home? It was awesome. I think Pastor TJ was in it. Did you guys catch that? Did anyone see that? <laughs> I think Pastor TJ wants to be Tobey Maguire. But, but we do stuff like that all the time. Well, evangelism is simply telling someone we love about someone we love. Jesus. And this idea of evangelism ties directly to one of our five major core values as a church. See, we believe that according to the scriptures, found people find people. We believe that found people find people. According to the scriptures, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be concerned for and you should care about the people that Jesus is concerned for and the people Jesus cares for. This really isn't an option for someone truly following Jesus. And that's why it freaks me out when I hear church leaders say, yeah, our church really isn't about reaching out because we like things the way they are. I mean, we love each other, we love the community we have, and we just like our church being small. Really? Really? Loving each other is certainly a part of it. And community is certainly a part of it, it's important. But the Great Commission 
given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Church, the great commission was not the great suggestion. Jesus calls us to go outside the walls of the church and reach the world for him. And so it terrifies me when I see people act like, you know, I love Jesus, but people outside the walls of the church, that's out of my comfort zone. God bless them. I hope somebody else reaches them. And so today we're going to look at an account from Scripture, and we're going to address four questions about this core value that found people find people. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Question number one is this, when? When? When did you encounter Jesus? John 1.43 says this, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So first off, who found who in this story? Yeah, Jesus found Philip. God isn't lost, right? He's God. But the Bible describes our condition before becoming a Christian as being lost and in darkness. Now, some of us understand this easily. We know where we were before God, that we were lost. You know, we've seen several people baptized in this church over the last year, and many of them talked about their life before knowing Jesus as their Savior. Some of us in this room know we were lost before we met Jesus. In fact, people still come up to us and talk about how jacked up we were. I remember you in kindergarten. You were smoking crayons and eating glue. <laughs> some of the parents are like, you just described my child. We'll pray for you. There's hope, okay? But see, some of you here today, you're lost. You're lost. And you're joining us for church. I find this so interesting that you're joining us for church, either here or online, even though you thought, I don't want to have anything to do with God or church, because maybe, just maybe, God's provenient grace is trying to draw you to him today. Just a thought. He loves you. But you know who I think might be the ripest mission field today? Church people. Church people. Some of us grew up in the church, and our whole lives we've followed rules, but we've never followed Jesus. I meet church people all the time who are like, well, I'm not lost. You know, my mom gave birth to me at the altar I was baptized on the spot, got my name engraved in my Bible in elementary school, was ordained as a minister in middle school. I attended 4,000 VBS programs, so I'm okay. The problem is when I asked them, if you were to die today, are you sure you would go to heaven? Their answer is, I, I don't know. Have you ever met Jesus? I think so. Let me unpack that for you. That would be like me going up to a single person and saying, are you married? And for them to say, I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe. Because I'd be like, oh, really? Let's get you some help and figure that out. So my first question for you is this. When did you meet Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? Not when were you baptized as an infant, not when did you go to vacation Bible school, not when did someone scare you about hell when you were a little kid. Like my son Lincoln, who was dancing on this stage earlier, is two and a half years old. I could scare him towards Jesus tonight if I wanted to. I could go into his room in the middle of the night, dressed as a demon, jump out of his closet with a blowtorch, like, that might do it. We'd probably have to change the sheets in his toddler bed, but I could scare him and try to get a response. 
that's not really salvation. And, and look, some of you here, you were blessed like my wife to grow up in a Christian home. Praise God for that. She has known about Jesus her whole life, and she doesn't remember the exact date. She doesn't remember the exact year, but she'll tell you somewhere around third or fourth grade, it became personal for her. She came up to an altar like this, and she prayed, and she asked Jesus to be her Lord and her Savior. We're not saved because our parents are. Salvation is realizing, here I am, there is a holy and perfect God, and my sin separates me from God. And there's nothing I can do in my own strength, in my own effort to bridge that chasm, to bridge that gap, to earn my way to him. But God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay for my sins on the cross. And by receiving that gift, by accepting that gift, that free gift from God and repenting and turning my life into a relationship with him to follow him, I am saved. See, it's not through a ritual and it's not through religion. It's through a personal love relationship with the living God through his son Jesus that we are saved. So my question to all of you is, when did that happen for you? When did it become personal? And if that hasn't happened for you yet, why not change that today? Today. When did you begin your relationship with God? When did you encounter Jesus and start to follow him? Because we can't tell others about him if we've never met him. Question number two, if you're taking notes, is this, who? Who? When we become followers of Jesus, Scripture tells us that we start to be consumed with the things that consume God, like caring about people who are far from God. So Philip was found by Jesus, and guess what is the next thing that Philip does. Let's check it out in verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have met the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus found Philip, and Philip found Nathanael. Why? Because found people find people. So who do you know that needs a relationship with Jesus? See, we're not just on this planet for ourselves. We are here to impact the lives of other people for God. And if you're stressed out because you're the only Christian at your job or your high school or in your home, maybe there's a reason you're there. Maybe God has placed you there to impact the lives of those around you for Jesus and for his kingdom. Embrace that and shine. Let me tell you guys something about people who don't know God. They're hungry for something more. They're hungry for something more. Back when I was a kid, all I wanted was a Sony Walkman cassette player. Since then, we've gone to CD players, MP3 players, iPods, smartphones, and now we have iPhone 13 that can store a million songs and has a professional video camera built in. See, the world is constantly making new things. Why? because this world can never satisfy us. That's because we're not made for this world. We were made for God. And every single person you meet has an eternal destination. So here's question number two. Who do you know that needs a relationship with Jesus? Who do you know that needs a relationship with Jesus? Which leads to question number three. Question number three, how? How? 
We might understand the importance of connecting people to God, but how do we even go about doing that? How do we do that? Let's go back to Scripture and look at Philip and Nathaniel. Remember, Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. Now, Philip made the mistake when he mentions to Nathaniel that Jesus was from Nazareth because Nathaniel apparently had a bad experience there. Maybe he got mugged. Maybe they messed up his order in the drive-thru and didn't give him his dipping sauces. We don't know. But Nathaniel really didn't like Nazareth. So check out what happens in verse 46. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. Come and see. So Philip is all excited to tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. But Nathaniel is a skeptic going, I don't know. He comes from Nazareth. You know why I love honest skeptics? Because they're real. They're real. They don't try to pretend. They don't try to wear a mask. They don't try to pretend like everything is perfect. You talk to an honest skeptic, and you're like, how are you doing, man? And they'll be like, my life stinks. I think I need a drink. It's like, okay, thanks for sharing that. And there have been skeptics all throughout Scripture. If you read your Bible, there have been skeptics throughout Scripture. Read Matthew 28. The Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to all the disciples, and even then, some doubted. So Jesus is crucified. He comes back to life. He's hanging out with hundreds of people, eating with them, hugging them, ascends into heaven in front of them, and still there are people like, I don't know, saw some of that freaky street magic on YouTube. There have always been skeptics in this world, but that doesn't mean we need to attack them. I don't think saying you're a moron and need Jesus has ever been an affectional, effective tool for pointing someone towards God. I think the problem with the church is too often we approach people who are skeptical with condemnation instead of a conversation. This is why I love Philip's response. Come and see, said Philip. Philip realized that he didn't have to argue with Nathaniel. He didn't have to try to convince Nathaniel. He just needed to bring him into the presence of Jesus and allow God to start to work. That's why we do church the way we do it here. Because we want this to be a place where you can bring the people in your life who you love, who are far from God, to connect with the God who loves them. That's why we have children and student environments like Lighthouse Kids and like Fuse that get kids and students excited about God and church. This is why we work to present the gospel in powerful ways every Sunday. Next week is Easter. This is another opportunity for you to bring people in your life who you care about, who need to know Jesus, to meet and connect with God. We've already told you for the last couple of weeks, we have invite cards out in the lobby that you can take with you to help you as a tool. And let me tell you something, God doesn't care what kind of shape they're in. He loves them and he wants to connect with them. And they don't need to dress up or clean up on Easter Sunday to be welcome into this church. It doesn't matter if they're an addict. It doesn't matter who they slept with the night before. It doesn't matter if they reek of alcohol. Bring them to church and allow them to have an encounter with Jesus because maybe, just maybe, he'll save them and he will change their life forever. So Nathaniel follows Philip. The story continues. Verse 47 when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. 
Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, Nathaniel's question to Jesus might go down in history as the dumbest question anyone has ever asked God, right? He asked the creator, how do you know me? Jesus was probably laughing inside thinking, dude, I made you. That's how I know you. I mean, if you're a parent here, you, you get this. I, it's like my wife Julie and I are with our kids. It, it's an hour past bedtime, and we keep hearing laughing and, and, and noises, and we're like, turn off your technology and go to bed, or you're going to lose everything for the week. And they're like, how do you know what we're doing? And Julie's like, because I brought you into this world. <laughs> and if you don't fall asleep in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to be tempted to take you out of it, Okay. So Jesus responds to Nathaniel in verse 48, and he just goes supernatural on him, saying, I made you, I know everything about you. I even saw what you were doing earlier when no one else was around. And if you've never seen it, there's a, there a series called The Chosen, and Pastor Cheryl got me hooked on it. Uh, you can download the app and, and you can watch it, it's free, but it's a drama about Jesus and the disciples. And in season one of the show, episode 10, the title of the episode is I Saw You. And it shows this scene dramatized, and it's so powerful. Now, if you're here today and you feel like you're too messed up for God to ever want you, I have good news. He knows you. He has seen every single thing you've ever done. And guess what? He still wants you, and he still loves you. Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Let me just stop for a second for us to process that. That's amazing. Nathanael went from, I don't like you, you're from Nazareth, to you are my Lord. See, Philip just got Nathanael into a position where he was able to encounter Jesus. We can't change people. As much as we want to, we can't change people, but we can get them to a place where they can have an encounter and connect with Jesus, and he's the one who can change them. But pastor, talking to someone about Jesus, inviting them to church, that's scary. That's uncomfortable. I don't know if I can do that alone. You can't. And that's why Jesus said this in Acts 1.8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I will empower you to do what I am calling you to do. He said this to a group of about 120 people, a crowd around the size of this sanctuary right now. And these people actually took Jesus at his word, and they started telling everybody they could about him. And within 300 years, don't miss this, within 300 years, a group of 120 people, 50% of the known world, millions and millions of people became followers of Jesus. Within 300 years, millions and millions of people became followers of Jesus. Today, there are 8 billion people on earth. Only about 2 billion people claim to follow Jesus. We have a lot of work to do, church. We have a lot of work to do. But God will empower us if we're willing. Last question, number four, why? There are folks maybe here today who think, you know, I hear you. But I just kind of live my life for Jesus. I don't really see why I need to talk about him with others or invite other people to church. Look at what the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10. 
verses 14 and 15. He said, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We are called to talk about Jesus to the people in our circles of influence. Let me put it this way. Most of the people in this room have been impacted by someone we love battling cancer. I lost a very, very dear friend of mine a couple years back to lymphoma. My mom is battling myeloma. It's personal for me. I hate cancer. I hate it. I know it's personal for many of you. Cancer is cruel. There's nothing good about cancer. Would you guys agree? So let me just say that out of all the death and destruction that cancer is called throughout the world, okay, what if we found out that there was a group of about 200 people, and this group of people at one time, they had cancer too, but somebody gave them a cure. They didn't discover it. They didn't earn it. Someone gave it to them as a free gift. And these 200 people who now had the cure and were free from cancer got together once a week, and they sang songs about being cured from cancer. And they would have conversations with each other. They would gather with each other and talk about the topic of cancer and its amazing cure. I mean, deep, deep, deep philosophical conversations and teachings and discussion. Meanwhile, outside the walls of their little gathering, millions and millions of people continued to die from cancer. Quick question. Would we call that group of people faithful, good, godly, loving, or would we instead call them wicked and lazy? The reason for that story is simple. We have something far greater than the cure for cancer. We have the only hope for this world and the gift of eternity with Jesus in the next. That's the message we have here. But we are called by God to share it out there, out there. One more quick question. How many of you here came to church for the first time because someone invited you or brought you to church? Raise your hand. Look around the room. I guess the rest of you were born here, right? <laughs> for most of us, somebody invited us or brought us. Here's my challenge to you. Next Sunday is Easter. Who is God putting on your heart? Because we're going to pre present the gospel message in a powerful way next Sunday. What if this week we sincerely prayed and we asked God to bring people to mind and to empower us with the power of his Holy Spirit to share Jesus with them and invite them to church? And what if when God brings those people into our mind, we pray for 30 seconds of extreme boldness and we act. There are people in our lives that we know need Jesus. Church, let's ask God to use our lives to reach them. Now, I, I know some of you maybe are a little discouraged hearing this message because you've been praying for someone. And maybe you've been praying for them for years or decades. And you've invited them more times than you can count, but they haven't come. And I get that. But I need you to know something. I need you to know that I'm a guy 
that somebody didn't give up on. And the only reason that I'm standing here today as your pastor is because someone didn't give up on me. Somebody thought I was worth the fight. Somebody wanted me to know so much about Jesus that they prayed for me and they invited me to church again and again and again and again and again. And it didn't matter how many times I said no, they found creative and new ways to constantly invite me to come. And finally, one day, I said yes, and I came, and I met Jesus, and he changed my life forever. After Nathaniel's supernatural encounter with Jesus, God changed his life too. Check out what happened. Last verse we'll look at as the worship team comes up. Verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Nathaniel, you shall see greater things than that. And he was right. After traveling with Jesus, Nathaniel would see miracle after miracle after miracle. He would see the blind see. He would see the lame walk. He would see Jesus himself rise from the dead and ascend into heaven before his very eyes. And I got to believe that one night, maybe traveling on the road with his buddy Philip, maybe at a campfire, Nathaniel walked over to his dear, dear friend Philip, and he said, thank you. Thank you for coming to find me. Thank you for not giving up on me. If we can step out of our comfort zone, listen to God, and ask them, how awesome will it be when one day in eternity somebody comes up to you and says, thank you. Thank you for not quitting on me. Thank you for not giving up and losing hope. Thank you for coming to find me. Found people find people. Can we pray together, church? heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, I, I know a message like this is going to land in so many different places with people in the room right now. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with this, this story, this true story from your word of Philip and Nathaniel. And then God, you would give us the courage to make a change, to take an action, to have some boldness and courage this week and to reach out to somebody we love. If you're here this morning and you would say, honestly, pastor, there's someone in my life, there's someone who I love, someone who I care about, someone who I know, and I know they need Jesus. Would you pray for me, pastor? I know there's someone I love who needs Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just lift a hand and say, pray for me? There's someone I know and they need Jesus. God, I want you to use me. I'm scared, I'm nervous. I don't know how that's gonna look like, but there's someone I know who needs Jesus. Praise God tons of hands up this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give power and courage and boldness, that you would infill these brothers and sisters with your Holy Spirit in such a powerful way. They open their mouth, words come out they never even knew were there. That you would fill them, that you would take control, Lord God, and that you would open doors they never imagined could be opened as they're bold and courageous and are willing to be used by you. If you can be honest this morning, maybe there's, there's some of you here this morning and you would say, you know what? I'm still kind of wrestling with this God and Jesus and Bible and all this kind of stuff. Pastor, if I'm being honest right now, I've, I've got questions. I still have questions. If that's you, would you be really bold right now and lift a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I've got some questions about God. And lift your hand up. Praise God. A couple people. A couple people. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who were just honest this morning. 
and said, I've, I've got some questions. Lord, I pray that in, in the days and weeks ahead, in powerful ways, that you would begin to speak to them, that you would begin to touch their lives, that they would begin to feel your presence, and that that, that connection with you would overshadow even some of the questions that they're wrestling with and struggling And in fact, I, I'm not going to miss this opportunity today as I want to do throughout this series. If you're here today and you say, you know, I got questions, but you know what? I'm ready to take a first step. I'm ready to take a first step into a relationship with Jesus. God, if you're willing to take me and my questions too, I'm ready to make that step. And if that's you today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about these words. It's just a way for you to communicate what God is speaking to you right now in your mind and in your heart. So if that's you today, would you pray, Heavenly Father? love me. I believe you're ready to meet me right where I'm at. Questions and all. God, I'm not perfect. I've done some wrong in my life. But today on this Palm Sunday 2022, I want to move my faith off of myself and what I've done onto my Savior Jesus and what he's done for me. I confess with my mouth today that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the dead. And I want to turn my life and turn away from my old life into a relationship, a personal relationship with you, God, through your Son, Jesus. God, would you help me to do that? Step by step, day by day, for the rest of my life. God, I'm taking a first step in faith. Thanks again for loving me. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate what people are doing? Those of you who are challenged this week to allow God to use you, to reach out to somebody, those of you who are wrestling with questions, those of you who are ready to take the first step in faith, God is moving in our church. God is moving in our people. Let's stand together and continue to celebrate as we sing.
It's always good to share with somebody that you made a decision. They can hold you accountable in a way. They can, they can encourage you in it. So this morning, uh, just want to, I know there's pastor staff here. Pastor Jim's up here on the platform. I think Pastor Nancy's over on this side. Pastor TJ is somewhere in the room or out in the, working with the youth. Uh, pastor Amanda's around. Pastor AJ, of course. Uh, you know what he looks like. So would you seek one of them out and let them know that you prayed a prayer today and this is what the prayer was about. I know they'll encourage you for it. I know there'll be a, a, a great uh, partner in the, in, the, in the decision you've made and help you along the way. I just know they will. But let me pray a prayer of benediction for you today. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're grateful for the love that you have shown to us and that you give to us, shower upon us abundantly. Sometimes when we wondered if we even deserved it. And you just keep loving us. And like a Like a parent who loves their children, we know that you're proud of us too. When we do the things that bless you, inspire you, give you joy, it makes you proud of us. And we want to do that in response to the love that you have shown us, the grace, the mercies. As we leave this place today, we don't leave you behind, but you go with us, your children. You go with us wherever we go, in our homes, our work, our schools, wherever we go, you're going to be there right with us. And not just on one or two days, but 24-7, 365. Thank you, Father, that your spirit in us is now going to enable us to go and be the obedient children that you have called us to be. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.